what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are the co-directors and co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society, the Foot Candle Film Festival, and now we're the host of the Foot Candle Films podcast. We love to throw that word in, in our titles anywhere we can. Yes. Foot Candle. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fine. I uh, was up late last night celebrating the end of the uh, actor's strike, but uh, I'm I've recovered. I've had some coffee, so I'm I'm ready to talk about movies. Yeah, I guess we'll just go ahead and jump right in and say that. Yeah, so the actor strike did uh, end yesterday, which was, or yeah, I guess uh, midnight yesterday morning. So it is official. And sure enough, as soon as I hopped online, I saw all the reports of all the actors flooding to all of the film premieres <laughs> to go and promote their film. Seriously, there's like well, sure. a slew of them already happening in the next few days. Uh, so yeah, so. Uh, the business of selling movies is back in business, and uh, uh, it should be interesting to see how quickly that ramps back up. But congratulations to all the all the actors for their work on that and getting uh, what I hope they feel like was a good deal out of this and a little protection for their craft in sure. the future years as well. Um, but let's go ahead and celebrate some of the work that some of these actors have put together, as well as directors and producers and everybody else involved, as we do have some reviews of a couple of new films that we'll be discussing today. First up will be the Marvels, which is the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe entry. Uh, this one is directed by uh, Nia DaCosta, starring uh, Brie Larson and starring, oh my gosh, I should have had my notes, uh, Tayon Paris and Amon Villani. So that we'll be discussing the Marvels and talking about that new superhero adventure film, followed by a review of the film Anatomy of a Fall, which is a French film that is getting uh, getting a lot of buzz right now, directed and written by Justin Triet and starring Sandra Huller. We will be discussing that film, Anatomy of a Fall, as our second review. Then I'm going to uh, treat Chris to a trailer of a film that I know he's super excited about, and I am anxious to share the trailer with him and get his thoughts on it. And then also going to share a news article, a story that I found really interesting talking about the idea of shelved movies, movies that have been made, completely made, but have not seen the light of day. There was one that I came across in an article that we're going to talk about. I just thought it sounded really interesting, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, Chris, and what you think about this idea. So we got a lot to do in this episode, two reviews for the price of one. Let's go ahead and jump right into our first one, which is The Marvels. She's entangled our light-based powers, so we switch places whenever we use them. Strong theory. You can absorb light. I can see it. And Kamala. Who's Kamala? Hi. She can turn light into physical matter, which I have never heard of. I could totally show you. No! 
with the Marvels, we have the third and final entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe for 2023. The film follows Carol Danvers, alias Captain Marvel, Kamala Khan, alias Miss Marvel, and Monica Rambeau, which alias to be determined, once their powers become entangled, which then forces them to work together to save the universe from the threat of the Kree leader, Dar Ben. With MCU experiencing a bit of a roller coaster ride success wise with its films this year, what was your experience, Alan, with the Marvels? Did you enjoy the ride? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I thought the Marvels was a fun, uh, light, breezy superhero adventure movie. It kind of reminds me what I think Marvel needed to focus on a little bit more over the last couple of years is just not trying to focus so much on universe building and giant major threads to build to other other franchise elements but instead just give a give us a fun little adventure give us give us some superheroes doing superhero stuff and give us some not putting the weight of the sh- the world and the weight of the entire uh, cinematic universe on each film's shoulders i think this one just it's efficient it's relatively short. I mean, it's the shortest MCU movie I think they've released, which I think that works. Meaning that, that at least it's under two hours. Yeah, it's an right. hour 45. And I think I think that's to his credit. I think you actually feel that. You feel that, oh, wow, this thing is really moving. And it's 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 just having fun with this idea, this concept. Um, and you've got three great leads uh, kind of steering the ship, you know, with uh, Brie Larson. Um, I already forgot name. Tayona Harris. Paris and Amon Villani. All three, really good, really fun, really great chemistry between them. I just, uh, I think it just worked. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go real high level. I'll get into some details in a minute, but um, I, I thought I thought it was a fun, fun adventure time, and I had a really good time with it, and I wish more of the superhero movies could adopt this little lighter, little breezier feel to it and, and just give us a good adventure and not feel like you've got to stitch together every element for every part of the franchise building for the next five phases or whatever. Now, granted this film did do a little bit of that in the credits. I'm I'm kind of carving out the film as the film proper from when the credits, if start, um, it does dip into some of that in its post credit scene. It does feel the need to start to reach out and make a bigger Marvel cinematic universe, uh, event, um, instance or, or, or event or trigger. But I'm saying for the main core of the film, I think it, it was, it was very fun and uh, I had a really good time with it. It was much better than expected. It's about mid tier Marvel movie for me. It's like, it's not the bottom half at all. It's not my, one of my favorites, but it exceeded expectations. And I, I did, I can say I had a good time with it. So Chris, what's your, what's your thoughts on this film? Well, kind of as you, alluded to your expectations going into this film were, were a little low. Yeah. Um, you'd seen the trailer you thought maybe problematic. The whole, I mentioned like the entangled thing. It's like they use their powers and they switch positions kind of where they were. And you're just thinking, I don't know how you're really going to work with that. And build it's a, a movie super high it. concept that I don't think worked in trying to pitch it in a trailer. And it's actually kind of gave me a really bad feeling about the film when I saw that. So yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So, I went into this film with low expectations and also knowing it had a big kind of job on its hands. I didn't watch any of the Miss Marvel Disney plus TV series. So I was aware that there had been a new 
you know, character and her name was Miss Marvel. But other than that, I didn't know anything about her. And then I was vaguely familiar with the uh, Rambo character because, you know, WandaVision stuff. But I was worried that they were going to have to do a lot of explaining up front and kind of not world building, but just kind of setting the stage before the actual story of this actual movie could kick in. And thankfully they actually did it pretty expediently and the, mm-hmm. they did kind of a comic book montage with Camilla Khan's character kind of explaining how she's, you know, a younger kid, a little bit more immature, kind of like suffering from a lot of the stuff that Peter Parker did earlier in the Spider-Man movies, not really knowing what to do with their powers, how they fit in. But that, like I said, that was done really quickly and it was done in an entertaining fashion. And, um, I, I don't know. It, it worked well enough. I also was a little leery because some of the early scenes with her and her family, they felt very like eighties sitcom a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look like they have a kind of a battle within her or she, they in her townhouse or something where mm-hmm. she lives with her family. And it just looked kind of, cheap and television set looking. Mm-hmm. But if that's the kind of style that's maybe brought over from what they did with Disney plus, maybe it makes sense, but those worries eventually fell away. And mm-hmm. once they got in, like I said, to the story where it was basically them trying to save the universe from this person that could rip holes in the fabric of space. Um, it was actually okay. And I agree with what you said, the three leads, Brie Larson, Tayona Harris and Ian Villani. I think they, they were good. They, mm-hmm. their chemistry together, I thought worked really well. And there's a little bit of backstory between, you know, Monica and, um, Carol, Carol. There's a little backstory there that was in the first Captain Marvel movie. And I did see that movie. Okay. <laughs> so, so good. I didn't have trouble like, you know, remembering that, but I think it had kind of a heavy, heavy load to carry. And I think they did a decent job. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, unfortunately, um, one of the weaknesses is the villain of the film. Yes. Agreed. And I think it just, I don't, and I can't really, I it just, it's so seemingly kind of carbon copy. She looks like kind of the sister to the villain of the guardians of the Gal, the very first guardians mm-hmm. of the galaxy movie. She's got the big hammer. She, you know, wields it in kind of the same way. And you're like, okay, it's just not very memorable. No. Like, you know, if I had to look up what the name of the villain was to do my intro, because I, could not remember. And I think that's the thing is, you know, yes, you remember who the heroes are, but you've got to remember who the big bad guy is, you know, after you see the film. And I, I, I even though I have it written, I will probably not remember that for longer than today. Well, it, <laughs> so, it's a shame. That is my biggest, my biggest complaint with the film too, is I thought the villain was very, very lacking. And, uh, and, and it's a shame because, you know, as someone pretty familiar with, the Marvel comics world, you know, for most of my life, there's such a wealth of very, very interesting dynamic villains to work with. And I understand that there's a desire to like bring in like original villains and not always try to bring up someone who was, who's been around in comics for 20 years or so. But it's just disappointing when you see this and it's like, you know, all the other elements seem to be kind of clicking with this film. And it's like, every time we got to the villain, it's like, okay, uh, same old villain stuff. They're saying the same thing. They're acting the same way. This person seems to have the same motivations as just about any other villain we've seen just about. 
And it's like, there was nothing really standout memorable about it. And I still, to this day, I did not know the name until you reminded me <laughs> looking on the IMDb page. Right. And that's just a shame. Cause I mean, uh, the Marvel universe in general has a, and typically had a wealth of villains. I think when the move, these movies work best, it's when you've got a villain that you can either relate to, or you can feel something for, or is very memorable or unique. It's always the best examples of them. So, I mean, you know, you have, uh, I mean, Black Panther gets so much uh, acclaim, and it's really a good movie. And one of the reasons is people think the villain was really, really great. I mean, it was a Killmonger, Killmonger, unique, and just had a great personality, and just you, you kind of remembered it afterwards. And that's what makes these movies great. When you have a movie like this, luckily the three leads carried this film and made it work and made it fun. Because if it was left to just the action and the villain, it would be so cookie cutter and so forgettable and it wouldn't do work at all. So yeah. it's interesting. Um, I haven't read any long, you know, diatribes about this film, but I have seen some comments online and I forget who the critic was, but they said that they felt the film worked despite two instances that they feel like just didn't fit and didn't work at all. And I'm curious because if you give that, there are two instances in the film for me you and I actually saw this movie together down in, uh, at a critic screening. So we kind of talked a little bit about it afterwards. And I think you and I are on the same page about this. But it's interesting. He didn't say what those two sequences were. But for me, I'm wondering if they're the ones that actually kind of not saved the film. I thought it was good. But it made me give some respect to, I guess, the writers who Nia DaCosta is one of them. And also the director for being like, we're going to do this. Yeah. And bas- I know the two. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say I'm not going to go into great detail. But basically there's a planet that communicates through singing. Yes. And that I was like, okay. And it had a fun little, just before you get to the second one, sure. I like that sequence again, not spoiling anything much with it. Yes. It's a planet that communicates with singing and it has a, I had thought it had a very fun connection to one of our lead characters. That is, I'm expanding on this a little bit. Sure. I love the fact that this film revels in the fact that the lead character or one of the leads, Carol Danvers, Captain yep. Marvel, sure. is someone who basically polices the entire universe and is a superhero to help across the entire universe. And we don't ever get a sense of that in any of the other movies. I don't feel like at all. We're just kind of left to believe, oh, no, she's gone and she's going <laughs> and she's she'll be back sometime. Right. This was a movie. It's like uh, it kind of gave us a little peek at, OK, here's some things that she has actually been a little involved in or here's places where she's helped. And we kind of see a little funny consequence of that with this situation. So I liked it on various levels for that, that same reason, but yeah, please. Yeah. And actually it's, there's a little bit of that in the trailer, but you don't understand exactly what you're seeing. Hmm. You see like kind of a, it looks like a street party scene and you're like, okay. And it just looks, looks, looks kind of odd. And now I totally, I totally get it. So that was something. And actually it felt like something Taika Waititi would do. Yeah, it actually did. (laughs) And I mean, that is a compliment. It It looks like something he would do and something that I think he takes a lot of risk. Love and Thunder didn't really work all for me, but Ragnarok it did. And so it's like, that was a risk that was put in here that worked. The other thing there, again, I'll kind of dance around mm-hmm. spoilers because I don't want to ruin it for people. This movie comes out this weekend. But um, the second. <laughs> is it, it just cats is all we have to do is say cats? Well, yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, we'll just leave Cat, it. Cats provide an interesting way to evacuate a ship. Yes. And uh, that 
And it's like, they don't just do it. They lean into it and make it more of a sequence that some people may like, I guess if you like the joke, you appreciate it and you love all of it. (laughs) If you're not, you're just like, Oh, that's just dumb. But it was a risk. And there again, it, it really worked I, for me. I loved it. And it definitely got a little, it was definitely a bizarre sequence, uh, especially some musical cues dropped in to kind of accentuate what was happening. I mean, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was fun. And it just ramped up the overall tone of this film, which I did like, is that, hey, yeah, I know we're dealing with a threat that threatens to destroy the universe, blah, 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 whatever. But we're <laughs> going to have, let's let's still have fun with this. And that seemed to be the tone all the way through is let's, let's still have fun with this. Uh, it's not to say there's not moments of some drama and there's not some moments of tenderness. There's not some moments of uh, all that, but overall the tone is let's, let's just have fun with this adventure. Um, even the whole power swapping thing, which I said, you know, is a high concept thing that I was really fearful. Wasn't either going to work or just wasn't going to help sell this movie. Initially, there is a lot of sciencey stuff involved. It's like, all right, how does this work? And how is this happening? And it, it was a little inconsistent the way it was used throughout the film. But when it got into a groove later on, when it actually turned it, it turned this quote bug into a feature <laughs> where the movie, it was actually fun watching them use this capability and right. use this skill set now to accentuate the action sequences and to make things even more lively and fun. Uh, it was great. So they paid that off. They, they kind of laid a good groundwork. It got a, took a little while to get there, but once they got there, it was really fun with it. So yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is I think uh, Brie Larson's performance as Carol Danvers, you know, of course we had her in the captain Marvel standalone mm-hmm. movie, and then she's been in a couple of the Avengers movies. Right. Um, I think this might be the best representation of that character I've seen Brie Larson do. Okay. More so than in the first film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I liked the Captain Marvel movie. Right. But I always felt like there was something where I I just felt like we never really got to address the fact that she is this, quote, all-powerful character in the universe. I mean, even in the Avengers movies, they're all like, okay, well, once Captain Marvel gets here, it's, <laughs> we're pretty much going to be able to like wipe this everybody off the plate with this. Right. And I like that this one actually started to dig a little bit into what that means as a character to be this incredibly high, uh, powerful, uh, super, superhuman person. But yet you've got people that depend on you. You've got relationships that you still need to maintain. I don't know. There was a little bit of depth there. And I, I thought it was interesting where it started to go. Now, did it go far enough with it? No. It, it was still rather just interested in having fun. It's like, we have a tender moment for a minute or two. Okay, we're done with that. Now let's go have more more fun and punch, punch, kick, kick, action, fun stuff. And I'm okay with that because that's what the movie wanted to be. But I will say I, I liked I liked all three of their performances. But I do think Brie Larson was probably the best I've seen her play this character out of all the times I've seen it. So Okay. So to wrap up, I kind of alluded in the intro, if this is a roller coaster ride, you have Ant-Man, Quantumania, which was at the beginning of the year. I feel like that was probably getting towards the, the bottom of the mm-hmm. roller coaster loop. Then you have Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, which, you know, I would assume, I, for me, that felt like Marvel kind of getting back on its game. With the Marvels, Alan, do you feel like they're continuing to build momentum or do you feel like they're dipping again? Um, I, th- I don't think they're dipping. Okay. I don't, but I also don't think it's building off okay. of Guardians of the Galaxy. I do feel like this is kind of on par with where I was with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I okay. maybe like this a little bit more. Okay. I, I just had some issues with Guardians, a little feeling. It was a little overly manipulative on emotions. 
uh, that turned me off a bit to it. But overall, I think this is in that same ballpark. It's kind of keeping Marvel at least a little higher level. I will say this. I think, uh, I don't know. It's been an interesting time for Marvel. We talked about some Marvel issues or woes in the news and write-ups and insider reports about how things are troubled there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of feel like with the Marvels, I think the Marvels is going to perform a little better than they expected. Okay. And I think critically it's going to do better than they expected. Okay. I think there's going to be some good fan buzz about this film, and I think it's going to build up some more energy. If our critic screening was any note, the, when a couple of key moments happened, especially in the credits. The credit scenes. The fanboy were, reaction yeah. was off the chart in yeah. our theater. I think that's going to happen, and I think that's going to build a pretty – and then I know this is on the TV side, but the end of the Loki TV series that's happening right now is now getting tons of buzz for it. So I'm almost wondering if Marvel's like, okay, yeah, we we had our rough times. So we're, we're we're trying to click it back into place. I don't know. Okay, but I will say on this, God, I'm going long on this review. I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, but I did read actually just this li- yesterday on the same subject matter. Did you realize that because of the writer's strike, or not because of writers and then actor strike, mm-hmm. and all the stuff happening with that and all the delays? Sure. Now, this coming year, they've just announced yesterday, Marvel did, there's only going to be one movie that comes out, Marvel movie next year. Really? Yep. I wonder if that could there's actually be three. Depending on when it's released, I wonder if that'll actually help it because it'll give people a break. They're like, man, what I really want is I know, but a Marvel movie. And then when it finally comes out, people will be like yeah. rushing to see it. Deadpool 3 was going to be in March. Now it's going to be in June, okay. or July. And then they're moving uh, the other two that were going to be Captain, the new Captain America. And was Thunderbolts going to be? Or Blade. Oh, Thunderbolts or Blade, okay. Yeah, I think those two were going to be summer and winter. And now they're both 2025. Hmm. So one movie in 2024 is Deadpool. So we'll see how that pans out for them. Anyway, uh, the Marvels I thought was was fun. I I enjoyed it. I think going in with low expectations was great because I came out having a really good time. Sure, Um, it's not perfect. It's not you know the best of the Marvel movies. It's but it's a it's very entertaining. It's very fun. I had a good time with it. Um, And yeah, surprising. I'll I'll just I'll give it that. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. All right, great. Well, that is the Marvels. It is opening as we record this this week. Weekend and wide release should be available at pretty much any movie theater you want to go see it in. Um, so let's move to a film that may be a little harder for people to see right now, uh, just because it is more limited release. I don't know how many theaters it's in or getting into in the next week or two, but it is the uh, f- uh, French film Anatomy of a Fall. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I think it fell off that third floor. The windows open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death. Because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife. Stop. I did not kill him. During the opening moments of writer-director Justine Triet's Anatomy of a Fall, we see Sandra Hüller playing Sandra, a successful writer at home attempting unsuccessfully to be interviewed by a reporter. 
The interview is stopped because blaring from an upstairs room is music being played by Sondra's husband, Samuel. The reporter leaves, and Sondra goes to her bedroom and tries to work. Their partially blind son, Daniel, goes on a walk with his dog. Upon returning to the house, Daniel is led by his dog to the body of his father lying on the snow outside in a pool of blood. Daniel cries out, and Sondra exits the house, sees her son over her husband's lifeless body, and rushes to comfort him while calling the police. What follows is a tense drama where a woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their young, partially blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. Anatomy of a Fall won the Palm d'Or at this year's Cannes Film Festival over flashier films like Killers of the Flower Moon and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Alan, what was your experience with the film, and do you think Killers or Indy were robbed of the top prize at Cannes? No, no. This movie's awesome. This movie's so good. (laughs) It's might be one of my favorites this year. I it might it's definitely up there in the top. Um I tell you, Chris, I, I love a good courtroom drama. Oh, okay. When it's done well. And then if you can take a courtroom drama and add the layers and the performances that we get in this film. And just a masterful way of storytelling that progresses here. I mean, gosh, I could talk about this film for quite quite a while. Um <laughs> It is a procedural film. Okay, sure. I'll just go ahead and lay that out there. I mean, it is a, a you des- what you described the whole setup. That is the first five, seven minutes of the film. Sure. And then the next two hours is truly a, all right, it's lawyers, it's courtroom, it's, you know. Investigative um, people coming to the yes. house trying to reenact right. certain It things. is truly procedural. Yeah. With the little bit of the different slant is that we are we are allowed to spend – as much time as we can with Sandra, the main character and her son, Daniel learning and seeing from, from an outsider's perspective, what they're having to deal with and go through during this whole ordeal all the while still never quite, never quite getting to know Sandra, the main character truly, which is so intentional and so smart in this film is that we're always kept at a little bit of a distance mm-hmm. Because that's been critical for the story. We we have to feel like a member of that court system, like a member of the of the audience sitting out there watching the court system go to in place and not have all the answers and not have all the information. We have to base everything on what we're seeing and being told. Mm-hmm. And it's very much what, you know, we as the audience are having to do. It's what honestly Daniel, the son, ends up having to do as well. We we learn in the film. Him being blind. Uh, as as a child, you know, child actor. Well, the actor himself's not blind that played right. him, but the sure. character's blind. Right. Um, really makes sense as the film goes on. The reason for that choice. There's also a very deliberate choice of where Sandra and her husband speak English to each other, even mm. though neither of them are English. That's important too, because Sandra, this whole time, we're we're learning about her and we're getting to know her is she is either speaking French, which is the country where they're living Mm -hmm. or she's speaking English because that is the language that she and her husband kind of agreed was kind of their, their way of communicating. She was German. She's German. He was French. French. Right. Um, Even the use of language is meant to kind of keep us at a little bit of a distance of her. I, uh, performances were incredible. I, I think, uh, taking what could be a very root, uh, courtroom drama courtroom um, reenactment uh, film and, and giving it something more 
giving it a really compelling story outside of the courtroom that drives it as well. I'm, uh, this movie's great. So, <laughs> all right. Well, good. I, I, I'm, you and I saw this film on different nights, but it we sounds did. like you had a very similar experience to uh, when I saw it. I was, yeah, I'm, I like the film. Um, and I'm generally, when you mentioned the phrase like courtroom drama, I immediately look like, I kind of feel like that, like I do period pieces. They're mm-hmm. just not things that speak to me. Okay. Um, but one advantage this one has is I'm not very familiar with the French court system, Which legal say- system. French court system is wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, now it is wild to us. I wonder I if, if our system sure seems just as wackadoodle as theirs. Oh no, no I'm not saying stuff. theirs is like weird. I know. No, 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 no. no but it's, it's just, just it's us different. As, as Americans, uh, me watching this, I'm amazed yeah. watching this court system in place. I'm like, oh my gosh, they can just do that. They right. can just <laughs> have that conversation like this or speculate like this. I'm like, right. wow, it was. It was yeah, so it's different, and I'm sure you know how our films sometimes do things in the courtroom that are a little like, okay, they wouldn't allow that to happen. I'm sure there may be some instances of that here, Maybe. but still I'm with you. It Because it's so different seemingly from the way our courts are conducted. It immediately is really interesting to me yeah. because it's just so different. Um, so that, that was neat. I'll say too that um, the camera work in this film mm-hmm. was really interesting when you're at the house and you're seeing certain things a lot of times it's kind of locked down. They're composed scenes. But whenever you're in the courtroom, you have almost kind of a reality TV feel to it where they do all these like kind of jarring pans. You see, um, which I'm assuming is to give us a perspective of what Daniel sees of his mother on the stand where it's kind of people's heads and shoulders mm-hmm. frame his view kind of like through a little tunnel. Well, if he could see her. I if mean, he could yeah. see her. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Good, good point. He mm-hmm. can't see her. So, um, but yeah, it's like, but you, is that, that's the it's idea, that kind yeah. of look, well, I guess it puts you in the perspective. If not Daniel, you're one of the people, someone sitting in, in the, the audience, I guess the gallery or the yeah. audience. Yeah. And you're seeing her up there on the stand. So it's just little touches like that, you know, made this film kind of separating from other courtroom films or things they, they took care to try to, you know, make the artistic flair. Well, even, even, I mean, going on those little touches, you know, we do have the obligatory uh, news reporters outside Mm. reporting on what's going on in the courtroom. But instead of it just being a cut to some reporter we see doing their thing, we actually cut to them like kind of waiting (laughs) and like waiting. And then they're prepping themselves to get ready. They're like, okay, something's about to happen. Okay. Now I'm ready. Now let's go on the camera. And and it's like, I love that. And that's a little touch because it shows like that is a performance and it lets you see like how they're just kind of bored looking or maybe they're cold or whatever. And then they have to kind of get on stage and and that, yeah, that kind of little behind the scenes about this is what's happening. That was, yeah, that was interesting. And they did it more than once. So they would show that little, that little part. Um, I'll say too, and I, you know, I've talked about music before on the show, but this wasn't the (laughs) score that was jarring to me. At the beginning, I mentioned that the husband, which it's also interesting how they deal with the husband. You don't see him until you see his body. And then you see him only in flashbacks. You see some photographs, but like, it's weird how he's just like this presence Mm -hmm. that weighs really heavy on you. Um, But the song that he was playing, and he was playing it very loud. And that's, you know, the first thing you see in the movie is this happening. I could not wait for her to leave the house. I was like, please, dear God, make that music stop. Because it kept repeating like on this loop. And it was so annoying. And that like... Purposely so. Purposely so. And I've never had that kind of happen in a theater before. And watching it in a movie, I was like, wow, that's really weird. But it was really effective. (laughs) Well, even the the mixing of the sound in those opening scenes when 
Sandra is there and she's entertaining someone who's there to interview her and they're right. having a dialogue. And of course that person you can just tell is He's on edge. getting frazzled because <laughs> there's this loud blaring music going on. And Sandra's trying to ignore it, but you know, yeah, trying to there. be nonchalant about but it. But the way they even mix the sound where it's like, you can, you could barely understand what they're saying and talking to each other. But that that music playing, uh, it just did a great, <laughs> really put you in, Sandra's head. Yes. And for whatever that may mean, for the story is <laughs> kind of left open to, to discussion, but it, it, it worked. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was with you. I was ready for that song. I wanted that, that somebody to go shut that song off <laughs> quickly after the first few minutes. So that made the point very, very well. And then they, so that was one instance. And then there were other instances of Daniel pounding away at a piano mm-hmm. and it just, it was for some reason it was very unnerving to me. And then at one point his mom comes and tries to soothe him and maybe try to play a duet. And he, he's not, he's not having it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then a scene that actually kind of ties together my appreciation of the camera work and Daniel playing piano. There's one where he's kind of, it's like, he's always playing the music very intently and very abruptly and very Mm -hmm. just, you know, just very charged and the camera actually does a slow zoom close up in in on his face and he stops playing it's just they really were paying attention to a lot of details and yeah it was really working for me no I, I, everything in this film worked for me i i loved it from from front to back start to finish um you know i know that the lead actress is going to get a lot of the acclaim for this film and she rightfully so Sandra Mueller or Hewler very very good um she she obviously has a lot to carry with this film. Sure. But I mean, all the other supporting cast, though, I thought were just excellent. Swan Arland as Vincent Rizzi, which is her, her attorney. Her lawyer and oh, f- and friend, friend, which has some interesting. And they're getting the film yeah. doesn't. It's not even going to give you all the details. It's just enough for you to try to like yeah. you're a member of the court feeling like, okay, what exactly, exactly is going on here? Because yeah, yeah. they have a prior relationship. He knows her. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting. He is, he's good. I really, yeah, yeah. really liked his performance. And then you met, of course, Daniel, the, the young actor, Milo, uh, Grenet, Grenier. Um, so good. So good in this role. So I'm just, you know, performances were great. There's a sequence, Chris, in this film. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts, and we can do this without you know, too much spoiling either. Um, it's, do, we it's need in, the, do we need the trigger warning about it endangering a dog? Oh, no, no. That's no, <laughs> a whole different scene. No, okay. this one, this is in the courtroom. Okay. Uh, and, and, and just like just like the gallery, the, the court members or the audience herself, we are hearing new things that are being unveiled or new revelations or new pieces of information. Yeah. And we're, as an audience, able to react to them just like the court is able to react to it when they see it. One of those pieces is audio recording. Yes. And there is a very long extended sequence of basically an audio recording. And we get to, they play it in the courtroom, but then we actually get to see a flashback, a quote flashback of what was happening during that recording up to a point. Yeah. And then once a certain point in that recording hits, we cut back to the courtroom and we're just left. It's kind of like watching. the wrapping, wrapping up mm-hmm. of that audio clip. We are just left watching the eyes and faces of the audience as they're listening to the remaining parts of this tape. Sure. And it's like, I, I mean, it was so masterfully done is that 
yeah, we're going to show you what these two individuals look like during this whole recording, because why not? Everybody can imagine that in their head, what that looks like. But then the part that was really kind of critical that is now going to create some other complications in this case. Sure. We're not going to show you. You are an audience member. You are just left You're going to have to, to sit hear. just like the jurors or whatever right. the judges. right. You're just saying. left to hear this last minute of this recording. It was just so well done. Just so, so smart the way it was unveiled and, and rolled out for us. And then the fact, too, that you, know, there, you start to learn that there are uh, people who are going to give a testimony that was maybe not expected. And just like the other characters, we don't know what that is going to be. We have no idea. We're in the same boat as lead character to see that. What does this mean? And what kind of frame of mind is this now put her in or anybody or the lawyer? I just, it was just so well done. So, the, so, you know, we've already, we've talked about several instances of the film that kind of sold it to us that we thought were really done. And I think the two standout moments that you've just alluded to, those are what really, really worked and were like master strokes. It was the, the air quotes flashback to the argument between Sandra and her husband, Samuel parlayed through an audio recording. Right. And some of it you see, some of you don't see, but um, so that's pretty powerful. And then some testimony that Daniel gives is also in in use of flashback there as well is also really just well done. I will say Chris are, I don't know about your audience the night before my audience last night that that stuck around for the conversation afterwards. Sure. Uh, Some very interesting thoughts. This is a film that, isn't interested in laying out every fact in uh, detail for you. Uh, it has an ending. There is a, a closure to some degree, but yet it also is very interested in leaving, leaving it open for a lot of interpretation and conversation, which I, I love films like that. So I think, I think uh, that generated a lot of conversation in our, our discussion afterwards. Sure. I think I'll just leave this as a couple little notes. I think there's a, a dog plays a much, much more pivotal role than I think it could be seen on the surface. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some interesting notes with the dog and the, the what the role the dog has throughout the film. And, uh, and just the closing scenes, the closing interactions between two key characters that we are left with at the end. Definitely, again, it's, it's the kind of movie that really works for me because, yes, it, the story has an ending. Right. But yet that ending may not be everything. And that's, that works. So I'll, I'll close out and say um, something clever that I've never seen a movie do. Beginning of a movie, you have the distribution companies and the production companies, that keep, their names kind of come up on the screen. Yeah. And something came up on the screen for this film, and it was a website. And it flashed really quickly, but it was there. And it was didshedoit.com. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really, you know, I was like, that's weird. And the film goes on. Afterwards, I checked out the site and they basically, it's a website for the film and they just have a question up there, did she do it? And they have buttons to click yes or no. (laughs) And then depending on which one you click, they ask you to give your reason for why you said that. Um, So I think it's, I think that's fascinating. I, I, no, I, and I, I like that that's a question that's being left and being open to discussion. I love the discussions that could come from watching this film. I thought the website was really gimmicky, though. I, I, I'm like, really? That's, you're going to bullet this film down to just a website with a question of, did she do it, yes or no? It's, it's, I don't know. I thought, I thought the website and the plug on it was, was just overly gimmicky for a film this smart. 
Uh, it didn't need to do that. I think, but the question the, the, the website's asking is the question you do want to be asking. Absolutely. And it's a great conversation to have, but I just, I didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't strike me very well. We, we checked it out during the conversation. Oh, did you? Okay. Too, I yeah. Think, I, so, I was yeah. wondering, cause that yeah. definitely was brought up during hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's but honestly, that was my only, that was my only, uh, Negative feedback. And I guess I can't even claim it on the film. It's not actually. Oh, so I, I actually liked it and you, de- didn't, like you it, didn't. No, okay. No. I, that was my one mark. I'm like, I didn't like that being there. Uh, it just, it, it cheapened the film a little bit for me. And I, this is the film that should not be cheapened. So, um, hmm. but again, I'm not going to hold that against the film. That was obviously a studio or a marketing angle to put on it. Uh, you know, the film itself is wonderful. So, uh, I, I love this film so much. Uh, I kind of joked with my audience last night that uh, somebody brought up a question and we were trying to figure out what a certain scene meant. And I said, you know what? Let's just, let's just play it again. We're just going to play the movie again. Guy <laughs> shouted out to the projection booth. I'm like, can we, can we start it back? Rewind. And, it again? and I was only half joking. Cause I honestly probably could have sat there and watched it again. Um, I was that enthralled with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing things a second time, watching this a second <laughs> time would be interesting. It would be. I, I'm very curious if, what lens I would find myself watching it in under to see that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great anatomy of a fall. Uh, it is one of my favorite films this year. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I'll be rooting for it top to bottom uh, in any awards category. It may be up for, um, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a nominee on the best foreign film. I, I, I would think so. It won, it can. And then it's gotten buzz. I would think so. My question is, I mean, it could, uh, could the lead actress, could Sandra Hewler actually make a best actress nod on the Oscars? I don't know. I mean, foreign films getting a best actress nod uh, sometimes are, are a little rare, tough. but uh, I'd love to see it happen. And, uh, and the director, I'd love to see the director get some recognition for it. Cause I think again, she wrote the story, co-wrote the story with a writing partner, then directing it and just knowing exactly how much to tell when, mm-hmm. how much to show at the right time when to reveal certain things, when not to, who to focus on when something's happening. Uh, it was just, it was wonderful. It's extremely well done. Agreed. All right. That is anatomy of a fall. Um, may not be playing at a theater near you. I don't know. Uh, I know it's limited release at least. Uh, right. It's not getting a full release uh, like the Marvels is. So the Marvels <laughs> is going to be a lot more available to see, unfortunately, sure. but anatomy of a fall is definitely one I recommend being on the lookout for. And if nothing else, with the timing of the release here, I would hope that it would be available uh, online by the time awards are kind of being batted around February or March. So we'll see. Hopefully so. All right, Chris, let's take a quick break. We just ran through two big, uh, nice, lengthy reviews. When we come back, though, uh, I do have two news-related items to share. One to deal with our favorite Ghostbusting boys, the Ghostbusters, new Ghostbusters movie coming. We're going to talk about that for a minute. And then also the uh, film that is being shelved by Warner Brothers. I'll explain what that means and why I think this is a, uh, a a crime and a shame. And we'll discuss that here in a minute. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, Visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. 
Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. We had our reviews of Nia DaCosta's Marvel film, The Marvels. And we also had the film Anatomy of a Fall by writer and director Justine Triate. Um, both good. I will say Anatomy of Fall, though, is absolutely a good movie. And uh, definitely one of my favorites for the year. So looking forward to seeing what other people make of it if they have more of a chance to see it. Uh, Chris... Two things I wanted to bring up to you, some couple of news items and stories, just both of them, uh, things I saw yesterday. So this is still okay. hot off the press, fresh stuff here. Um, we had a we had a Ghostbusters movie a few years ago, two years ago, maybe was it, three. So after 2020. Yeah. When was that? Uh, it was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. And this was directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman. So apparently it was 2021. 2021. Yeah. So just two years ago. Um, it'll be two and a half years ago when this new one comes out. But we had Ghostbusters Afterlife, which followed the story of uh, one of the original Ghostbusters kind of descendants and family and took place maybe out in the out more in the Midwest area and uh, was received middling reviews and middling box office performance. It was not considered a huge hit. Um, And critically, I think it was kind of a, yeah, people liked it okay. It was nothing great, though. And that pretty much summed up where I was with it. I I had a good time with it. I didn't think it was great. Um, I think it was a film that got better as it went on, although I feel like the, the main issue with it is it borrowed way, way too much from the original Ghostbusters film. Okay. Almost to the point of some shot-by-shot recreations of scenes, which I felt like were too much, and that was just that didn't work for me. Okay. However, there was enough there, and I think the characters, the, the kind of the new, the new uh, status quo that they set up for the Ghostbusters franchise was interesting. So I was looking forward to seeing if they were going to release a, tra- a, a new sequel to that film. And... Lo and behold, we do have a trailer that came out for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Um, Terrible title. Yeah, the name's not great because it kind of right away brings in two completely different tones and feels to it. I immediately think of the Jurassic World. Was was There was like a Jurassic World Fallen, Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom sounded like the same kind of way. You take Ghostbusters, which to me is I mean, it's still a funny name. It's Ghostbusters. It's a funny title. And then Frozen Empire is like heavy and dark. It's like something Game of Thrones. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So not crazy about the title, but uh, I do want to take a quick look at the trailer with you, if we could do that. Sure. Um, This is another one. uh, This Just like the previous one has Paul Rudd uh, starring in it as, uh, well, yeah, as a new Ghostbuster. I think we can pretty much say, whoops, I'm not ready to play that yet. And uh, we also carry on with some of the kids that were in the first movie or the previous movie as well. It does. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. It's in the trailer. You will hear the voices of some of the original Ghostbusters. They are featured in the trailer as being in this film. So it does not appear to be any kind of surprise with that. That is going to happen. So Chris, if we can, let's watch the uh, trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, not directed by Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman helped write it and is a producer on it. But Gil Keenan, I believe, is the director of this one who has done some horror slash young horror films. I believe in the past I'll have to look up his listening to see what all he's done. But anyway, here's the trailer for ghostbusters colon frozen empire. And the, the colon's not part of the title. That's just actual <laughs> t- 
colon is in the title. No, that would be Not the word colon. Sure. So, yeah. Gotcha. All right, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Here's the trailer. For the first time in New York history, people froze to death in the middle of July. What is it? The death chill. The power to kill by fear itself. Your veins turn to rivers of ice. Your bones crack. And the last thing you see is your own tear ducts freezing up. Like, literally scared to death? <laughs> so cool. now granted it is a teaser trailer so it is short in length and just meant to give a glimpse into the film and the overall premise of the film but uh not giving away tons and tons of details which is good i kind of wish this is all we ever had of like trailers Mm. is like just give me the stuff like this give me the one one and a half minute teaser that's it that's all i need don't don't give me any more details on the film I'll still watch a full trailer if they put one out, but I'm just saying I wish that they didn't. Um, so Chris, I saw some visual groans and heard some audible groans at the end. Uh, so I take it you're not terribly enthralled, but go ahead and put the full disclaimer out. You didn't see the last one either. I did not. Yeah. Okay. Um, basically I didn't see the last one because I had revisited the original film mm-hmm. a little bit before afterlife was released and I liked it. I was reminded about how I think I may have even recommended it on the show. Um, but I, I remembered how much I liked it and how much it, it actually still held up. Um, and then I started hearing terrible things about afterlife. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the, the ectomo, ectoplasm glow around my love for this franchise. I'm not going to see it. I don't want to have it, you know, break my heart. The trailer, yeah, it just, something about it just doesn't work for me. I will say, though, God bless Paul Rudd. Um, he he may convince me to watch it because his reaction during that final closing shot, I'm like, okay, that's some of the humor that kind of carries over kind of the, yeah, I don't know. I, I may watch it. And I'm actually kind of surprised. I don't know if he was in the other one, but um, Patton Oswalt is featured pretty heavily in this trailer. Patton Oswalt was not in the previous one. Okay. Neither was uh, uh, Nanjali. Okay. Uh, Kamal Nanjali was not either. So okay. both of them are new to this uh, this film. So, I mean, obviously, it's got it's got all the star power behind it. I, I don't know. But I, I, I actually saw this trailer, and I was like, you know what? I never did see Afterlife, and I went online and I didn't find it streaming anywhere, and I was too cheap to want to have to pay to see it. But I don't know. I, do you, what's your? Do you think I need to see it to see this one or no? I would imagine you probably would need to see it to see this one. Okay. But the question is, do you need to see it? I, I look. I thought it was fun. I'm actually kind of tempted to watch it again here pretty soon. Okay. Um, just to see, because I, I wanted to like it so much. Right. I think I may have gone in with some very unfair expectations for it and was let down by those expectations. But overall, I remember it still being relatively fun. So anyway, I, I, <laughs> Rel- need, to another, I need to give it another Relatively fun. That's again, the- I, I'm like you. I like the Paul Rudd. I will tell you the uh, young actress in this that plays the, the daughter of the family 
and I'm drawing a blank on her name. I'm gonna have to look it up here really quick. Hold tight. Um, she is. I think she's the reason to watch the first movie. Okay. She is super, super good. And Finn Wolfhard is in the first one and in this one. Right? Yeah. He's all right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I haven't seen him really do anything for me in a film. You feel, like, in, you feel like he's always just doing the Stranger Things vibe? A little bit of that, but even, even beyond that, it's just, even on Stranger Things, he's like my least favorite performance on there, so... I, I don't know. I haven't seen him get to do anything yet that really has grabbed me. Um, well, so I, I, he's not the reason I, I enjoyed Afterlife in any way. It was, uh, I'm sorry, McKenna Grace. That's the one. McKenna Grace plays Phoebe. She is the young girl in the, the movie. She is the daughter of the Carrie Coons character named Callie. Paul Rudd is a school teacher that they befriend in the first movie. But McKenna Grace is so good. I recognize that name, and now yeah. I'm looking back through her kind of. She was in Captain Marvel, I Tanya, Ready Player One, Malignant, and of course you mentioned uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. So yeah, I guess I'm aware of her, but yeah, the name sounds vaguely familiar. But she say she really stands out in Afterlife. I thought okay. she was great. I thought okay. she was a lot of fun. So she is the character I kind of gravitated to the most in that first film. So I'm anxious to see what happens. Look, I'll forgive Afterlife for one of his biggest sins, which is it had a character, a young boy character in the film who, uh, who does a podcast and his name is podcast. Um, that was irredeemable. His that, name was podcast. They call him podcast. That is his name in the film. Oh, and, and, wow. he, and he makes a podcast. <laughs> that, okay. that was, that was rough. I'll give, uh, when I heard that in the first 20 minutes of the film, I'm like, okay, I may check out of this film right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it withstood wow. that it got past that and okay. it still made it okay by the end. So okay. anyway, I think you should watch it. I think we need to do a review of it, a like a archival follow-up review to an older film before the new one comes out. Just so you can tell me your thoughts and hmm. I don't know. I just, I'd be really curious to see what your thoughts are on it. Fair enough. Anyway, that is Ghostbusters frozen empire. It is slated to come out in March or April, I think. Okay. So in just a few months. Um, so we'll see how that comes along. It's kind of interesting. I think this is another one of those films they were waiting to see. Are we going to be able to release it sure. in the spring? And the minute the writer's strike was out, it's okay. like, oh, no, here's, Done here's deal. the teaser. We're good. <laughs> Bro, let's get it out right. there. And we're, we're, we're going. Sure. So, Okay. Last thing I wanted to cover for us here, Chris, okay. is um, I just thought this is a fascinating story. This came out just yesterday as well. Um, we had talked in the past about Warner Brothers, well, in studios in general, but Warner Brothers is one that got kind of a, a lot of press for doing this. This idea of create, producing movies, mm-hmm. shooting, writing them, shooting them, putting them together, having a rough edit of the film and almost basically done, and then deciding not to release it in any way, shape, or form. And their chief offense in that department until I think maybe recently was the Batgirl film. Correct. Okay. The Batgirl film, which was going to be a, a at one point it was going to be, yeah, actually it was going to be a HBO Max or Max release. Sure. Um, and they decided, or they said they made a financial decision to say we're not going to even release the film either in theaters or on streaming because the studio's claim was that they could actually save more money by writing it off on taxes as a write-off instead of 
uh, rolling the dice to see if they actually make money at the box office from the film. And it had Brendan Fraser in it and Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Keaton was going to okay. be in it as the Batman from, oh, from that. Yeah, he was okay. playing Batman. And Brendan Fraser uh, was playing a bad guy. He was playing a bad guy. Okay. And then was it Leslie Grace? Is that the uh, lead actress? She was in uh, in the Heights. Um, she was going to be playing Batgirl. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, of course, nobody's seen it, so right. you know, and it's not even like people can say, "Oh, the movie's really good; they should release it." No, we have no idea. <laughs> All we can go by is the word of the studio executives who said, "Well, we wanted our films to be a certain quality to go out in the theater, and then we weren't going to go straight to Max on this, so we just wrote it off." Hmm. Odd, and you would think with yes. as many streaming platforms and kind of the viability of streaming films that I just don't understand the logic of not even just releasing it online. But again, if they could write off thirty million dollars or whatever, I guess that's that's where the money talks. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we have another example of that that just came out yesterday, and this one I, I really just find really interesting. Uh, the film is called Coyote versus Acme. Okay. For anybody who's the slightest bit familiar with the uh, Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes cartoons, sure. will understand that reference. Coyote is a roadrunner. Acme is the company that he was always buying all of his stuff from that never worked. Right. To try to kill or trap the roadrunner. Yeah, to kill yeah. the roadrunner. Coyote versus Acme is a film that has been completed. Okay. It is done. It was filmed in 2022. Oh, wow. It was done. Okay. Uh, it stars uh, Will Forte. And John Cena okay, as the two leads. It is a hybrid animation and live action film. Kind of like a Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit type okay. of thing. Uh, this is from Wikipedia here saying it's an unreleased American comedy film directed by Dave Green from a screenplay written by Sammy Birch. And then this story for the film was written by Sammy Birch and a Mr. James Gunn, who you may know as yep. obviously Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Peacemaker, the new DC movies. He's done all of those. Um, it's combining live action and animation. It's based on the character of the Wile E. Coyote and the Acme Corporation from the Looney Tunes series of cartoons. Please tell me it's like a court case. Yes. Man. I know. That's it. Uh, this is the premise. This is the premise of the film. After all the products made by Acme Corporation backfire on Wile E. Coyote in his pursuit of the Roadrunner, he hires an equally unlucky human attorney to sue the company. When Wiley's lawyer finds out that his former law firm's intimidating boss is Acme CEO, he teams up with Wiley to win the court case against him. That's the premise of the film. Okay, here's the thing. I don't think you've watched this film. I did recommend it on the podcast, Rescue Rangers, mm. with Andy Samberg and maybe. John Mulaney doing the voices. Yeah. And I can't believe Disney greenlit it. Now, they didn't put it in the theater, but they put it on, I think it's Disney Plus. It makes sense that that's where it would be. That film was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved it. And it, you know, it has jokes for adults and has jokes for, you know, but I love that. Film. This sounds like Warner Brothers doing a version of that. And I'm really sad that I'm never going to get yeah. to see it. It got it completely shelved. Uh, they saved a, they, uh, $30 million tax write down to not release it at all, to just basically shelve the whole project. Hmm. So yeah, that is the disappointing thing we missed out on. Uh, John Cena, Will Forte, Wiley Coyote, courtroom comedy um, live action plus animation mix. It's oh, such a shame. It would have been good. Yeah. James Gunn kind of helping with the story. I mean, yeah, it had all the right elements going into it, but they just shut and it not down. Not even just to put it on streaming like they could have done with Batgirl. That just boggles my mind. And supposedly this film even had some test screenings 
early on that were positive. Like people like this movie. It's like, it's not even a matter that they had a bad movie and they're just like, well, we don't want to put it out. I mean, no, it supposedly was good and it's now shelved. Um, actually one of the, um, producers on the film, at least for a while, he did step away from the project late in the game, but Chris McKay, who was the director of the Lego Batman movie, okay. uh, was also involved in as a producer. Um, so yeah, I mean, it had some good talent behind it and people making a, a movie here and, uh, Unfortunately, we will never see it. Uh, that is too bad. Yeah, so I'm, it's sad. It is sad. I wish there was some recourse for that. I wish there was a way that the studio says, look, we're going to get our tax money back on this. We're going to write it off. But there's still some way, whether some sort of statute of limitations runs out or something, where it could be just thrown up online and like at least let people see it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that all works in the background <laughs> there. So. Uh, All right, Chris. Well, that was just what I wanted to mention. The unfortunate story of Coyote versus Acme. Uh, The possibility of a new, possibly good, possibly not Ghostbusters new movie, Frozen Empire. And then, of course, we had our reviews of the Marvels in Anatomy of a Fall. Anything we missed? No, I think that's the good rundown there. Okay. So, Chris, if anybody did have any feedback on either our reviews of the Marvels or Anatomy of a Fall, they have their theories on anatomy of a fall. They want to throw our way. We'd love to hear them. Uh, do they, are they excited for the new ghostbusters movie? I'd like to hear from those people as well. Sure. And then uh, thoughts on coyote versus Acme getting shelled by Warner brothers. Any thoughts on any of those? What should people do? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at foot candle film on Facebook. We're foot candle film society, Instagram and threads. We're just simply foot candle film. Al and I are also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and sometimes leave like quick takes. Do us a favor. If you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on because it'll help us reach new listeners. And we'd always appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for watching or, I guess, listening. I always forget. We're not a video podcast. No, we don't, we don't need no, to be. Nobody <laughs> needs to see that. We're an audio podcast. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for joining in the conversations. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.